This is the 11th in the series of podcasts from the British Society for Hematology, exploring different aspects of hematology practice. My name is Sally Killick, and I am presenting this podcast on behalf of the Writing Committee for Adult Myelodysplastic Syndromes. This podcast is being recorded over Zoom due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and we apologise for any loss in sound quality that occurs. I'm a haematologist at the University Hospitals of Dorset, working at the Royal Bournemouth Hospital and have been since 2001. I am a haemato-oncologist with a special interest in the diagnosis and management of myelodysplastic syndromes, which I will now refer to as MDS. I am the chair and lead author of the BSH MDS guidelines, both in 2014 and the new revised version. I am a founder member of the UK MDS Forum and I've been the secretary since 2005. I'm currently the chair of the NCRI MDS subgroup. I'm going to discuss some of the aspects from the new updated guidelines on the diagnosis, prognosis and management of adult MDS. These provide clinicians with a comprehensive, practical and balanced set of guidelines based on recent published evidence. Listeners should be aware that these guidelines are not applicable to paediatrics. And also that this podcast is not a substitute for reading the full guidelines. One big change is that the guidelines are now published in two parts, the diagnosis and prognosis of MDS and the management of adult MDS. This podcast will cover both guidelines. The guideline group was selected to be representative of UK medical experts and the manuscript was reviewed by the UK MDS patient support group. The manuscript was reviewed by a formal BSH process and the new guidelines represent an update of the one published in 2014. MDS are a group of clonal bone marrow neoplasms characterised by ineffective hematopoiesis and manifested by morphological dysplasia and peripheral cytopenias. What they all share is a variable predilection for the development of acute myeloid leukaemia. Patients should be assessed by a haematologist with special interest in the disease and referred for a second opinion to a regional or national centre when desired by the clinician or by the patient. All patients must be discussed at an MDT, which should include allogeneic transplant representation. All newly diagnosed patients with MDS should be reported to the National Cancer Registry and available MDS specific registries. The podcast now is split into two parts. In the first part, I'm going to summarise the new BSH guidelines on the diagnosis and prognosis of adult MDS. With regards to the diagnosis, MDS should be suspected in patients with otherwise unexplained cytopenias or macrocytosis. The initial assessment of a patient with unexplained cytopenias may not confirm a diagnosis of MDS. The diagnosis of MDS can be challenging and in that case, further follow-up and reassessment may be necessary to reach a firm diagnosis. Assessment of a patient with suspected MDS should include both a minimum set of investigations to exclude other causes and the differential diagnosis of marrow dysplasia, such as secondary causes should be considered. We are now starting to learn that more cases of bone marrow failure may have a constitutional link. Therefore, a detailed clinical and family history should identify potential cases of MDS with germline predisposition. In suspected cases, early referral to clinical genetics is indicated. 
All cases of MDS should be classified according to the current WHO classification. A WHO-defined diagnosis of MDS requires either morphological dysplasia in greater than 10% bone marrow cells in at least one lineage, blasts between 5 and 19%, or evidence of clonality with an MDS-associated cytogenetic abnormality. There is no specific immunophenotypic finding diagnostic of MDS, and therefore flow cytometry is not mandatory. Flow cytometry can quantify the myeloid progenitor cells, CD34 positive cells, but it may not always correlate precisely with the morphological blast count, for example, due to dilution. The WHO classification is based on morphology. Bone marrow cytogenetics should be performed on all patients with suspected MDS having a bone marrow examination. Approximately 50% of patients will have a clonal abnormality by cytogenetic analysis. And it is essential for the international prognostic scoring systems and it can also be a marker for assessing response to treatment and minimal residual disease. Where conventional karyotyping is not possible or fails, FISH for selected abnormalities, such as monosomy 7, deletion 5Q, or alternatively SNP array analysis should be performed. Gene mutations have been identified in approximately 90% of MDS patients and targeted mutation panels are now widely available. There is often a question of when to perform a myeloid gene panel. Mutational analysis is recommended where it may help but clarify the subclassification of disease, identify prognostic mutations in the relevant setting, or guide management decisions. For example, TP53 status in the setting of deletion 5Q, or SF3B1 in patients with rinsidroblasts. It should be noted, however, that currently no specific gene mutations are considered MDS-defining, and somatic mutations can be found in healthy individuals. So detection of mutations alone is not considered diagnostic. Mutation analysis should also be considered in diagnostically difficult cases to either support or refute a diagnosis of MDS. Patients undergoing gene testing should have received adequate counselling and given at least verbal consent. With regards to prognosis, at diagnosis, the prognosis for all patients should be calculated using the published scoring systems, the IPSS and the IPSSR. Although not yet part of the current MDS score, gene mutation status will likely inform prognosis in future prognostic models. Dynamic review of prognosis should be performed, for example, at loss of response to therapy. Patients with low risk MDS at diagnosis who may be candidates for allogeneic transplantation should be monitored carefully for the development of higher risk features. In the second part of this podcast, I'm going to summarise the BSH guidelines for the management of adult MDS. When regarding the basis of management in MDS, the recommendations are largely evolved and driven through the IPSS and its revised version, the IPSSR. When we discuss management, we often refer to patients as having lower risk MDS or higher risk MDS. So lower risk MDS includes patients with IPSS low or intermediate one and IPSSR very low, low and intermediate up to a score of 3.5. So higher risk MDS patients include those with an IPSS intermediate two and high and IPSSR 
of intermediate greater than 3.5 points, high and very high. Where available, patients should be offered clinical trials and or prospective registry programmes to allow information to be gathered about the natural history and treatment of MDS to benefit future patients. Supportive care is central to the management of MDS and should be offered to all patients with symptomatic cytopenias. Blood transfusions should be given to improve symptomatic anemia. Policies for transfusion, including trigger haemoglobin thresholds, cannot be recommended for all patients, but the decision should take clinical factors into consideration. With regards management of infection, hospitals should have local policies in place for the management of neutropenic sepsis. Patients with stable MDS, not receiving intensive chemotherapy and without signs of bleeding should not be offered prophylactic platelet transfusions. Emotional health needs should be continually assessed and addressed. Disease specific information should be reiterated regularly. Information regarding how to access MDS patient support groups should be offered. Moving on to active treatment options for MDS and starting with lower risk MDS, I will now discuss erythroid stimulating agents or ESAs. Patients with low risk MDS, as I've defined earlier in the talk, and with symptomatic anemia, or those with asymptomatic anemia and a haemoglobin below 100 grams per litre should be considered for a trial of therapy with an ESA. We recommend they fulfil the criteria for a high or intermediate predictive Nordic score for response. And this is based on the patient's transfusion burden and their baseline EPO level. For maximum benefit, erythroid stimulating agent treatment should be started as soon as appropriate after diagnosis of MDS and before established transfusion dependence. Patients should receive a maximum trial period of 24 weeks of therapy. This should comprise eight weeks at the starting dose, a further eight weeks at the higher dose if required, and finally with the addition of GCSF for a further eight weeks in those that do not respond before considering the patient to have failed erythroid stimulating agent therapy. Patients achieving a complete or partial erythroid response by accepted criteria should continue on long-term therapy until the response is lost and at the minimum dose of the erythroid stimulating agent required to maintain that response. The haemoglobin concentration should not be allowed to rise above 120 grams per litre. Next, I will discuss iron chelation therapy. This has been a hotly debated area over the years. So who should be considered for chelation? All suitable lower risk MDS patients should be considered for iron chelation therapy at the time they have received 20 units of red cells or when the ferritin is more than 1,000. This advice does not differ from the previous guideline. It should be considered in patients prior to stem cell transplant if time allows. Both desferioxamine, which is licensed first line for iron overload due to blood transfusions, and deferocyrox, are both able to reduce iron caused by red cell transfusions. Expert opinion is that deferocyrox, although only licensed second line in MDS, is the drug of choice based on tolerability, compliance and mature safety data. Deferoprone is not routinely recommended in MDS. Iron chelation therapy with deferocyrox should be stopped if the ferritin falls below 500, and desferioxamine should be stopped if the ferritin falls below 1,000. Deletion 5Q 
is a specific type of MDS given its own entity by the WHO classification. First line treatment is still an erythroid stimulating agent. Patients with low risk MDS with deletion 5Q and symptomatic anemia should be considered for a trial of therapy with an erythroid stimulating agent by the same criteria that we have previously discussed. For transfusion dependent patients unsuitable for a trial of an erythroid stimulating agent or for non-responders and patients losing their response who have IPSS low or intermediate 1MDS with deletion 5Q, consider treatment with lenalidomide after careful discussion with the patient about risk and benefit. Selected low risk MDS patients with deletion 5Q may be candidates for allogeneic stem cell transplantation. These include lenalidomide-treated patients who fail to achieve transfusion independence, those losing their response, or patients with transfusion dependence not considered suitable for lenalidomide. Lenalidomide is currently not recommended for patients with deletion 5Q and bone marrow blasts greater than 5%, multiple or complex cytogenetic abnormalities in addition to DEL5Q or patients with IPSS intermediate or high. Moving on to the management of high-risk MDS, this group of patients have a significant risk of progression to AML. Active therapy should be aimed at improving cytopenias and also altering the natural history of the disease to delay progression to AML and improve survival. It should be remembered that allogeneic transplantation is the only therapy with curative potential and therefore clinicians should determine at diagnosis whether a patient is a possible transplant candidate and then review this regularly. High-risk patients not eligible for an allogeneic transplant and require treatment should be considered for any appropriate clinical trial. In fit older patients lacking an adverse karyotype, the options of therapy with a hypomethylating agent versus intensive chemotherapy should be carefully discussed. Where intensive chemotherapy outside a clinical trial is planned, standard AML induction regimens should be used. With regards to hypomethylating agents in high-risk MDS, azacitidine is the preferred hypomethylating agent and is recommended as first-line therapy for patients ineligible for stem cell transplant with an IPSS intermediate 2 and high-risk or AML with 20 to 30% blasts. The recommended dose of azacitidine is 75 milligrams per meter squared daily for seven consecutive days, but a 522 schedule with a two-day weekend gap is acceptable where it is not practical to offer seven consecutive days, and outcomes with both schedules appear comparable. Responding patients should continue azacitidine while their response is maintained. The decision to stop or continue azacitidine in patients who fail to achieve any response after six cycles, but who have stable disease, is dependent upon the clinician and patient preference. Patients failing therapy with a hypomethylating agent should be considered for any appropriate clinical trial. Finally, I want to discuss allogeneic transplantation in MDS. All transplant eligible MDS patients should be discussed with a transplant physician at MDT, both at diagnosis and disease progression. The decision to transplant should be made on a case-by-case -case basis, evaluating patient, donor and disease factors known to influence outcome. 
Eligibility should be guided by the hematopoietic cell transplantation specific comorbidity index and the EBMT risk score. For lower risk MDS patients, additional prognostic factors such as transfusion burden, depth of cytopenias, cytogenetics and bone marrow fibrosis should be assessed when considering the optimal timing of transplant. Higher risk MDS patients with greater than 10% blasts may be considered for cytoreductive therapy or hypomethylating agents prior to transplant. Upfront transplant should be considered in patients with 5 to 10% blasts with slowly progressive disease or in those with a hypocellular or fibrotic marrow. Transplant is not routinely recommended for patients with mutation TP53 in association with a complex monosomal carrier type due to poor outcomes. And performance status and age should be used to inform choice of myeloablative or reduced intensity conditioning. So in conclusion, I have reviewed some of the updates to the BSH guidelines for adult MDS, including the diagnosis, prognosis and management. However, we must remember that these are guidelines, not rules, and the clinician must make the best decision for the patient. Do visit the BSH website to read the full guidelines and also to listen to other guideline podcasts. Thank you for your time. And again, we apologise for any loss in sound quality that has occurred.